Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the east end of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com And we are recording. Hey, everyone. Guess what? We're having another snow day here on the east end of Long Island. Yay. Coming down. Um, And I'll tell you another thing that was coming down this week. That was Donald Trump's casino in Atlantic City. Imploded. Came down. I remember going to that place like back in the late 80s. My husband. It was like you could take a $7 bus down and they gave you $15 worth of chips from Hoboken. And you'd stay in the stay in the Trump the Trump Plaza for no money and go to the spa and then go lose all your money and then go home on the bus. Were all the fixtures gold in the rooms? Uh, not, not in the really bad room that we had. No, <laughs> <laughs> it may have, they may have been elsewhere, but not where we were. So more like rust. Yeah. More like rust. So it just seems like sort of a fitting denouement for the Trump casino empire. And it turns out that casinos is what we're talking about today on the podcast. And um, this week we got news that the Shinnecock Nation is looking to build a new casino, actually their first, on their property um, just off uh, Montauk Highway, west of Southampton Village. And um, it looks like they're, they're talking about a 76,000 square foot facility on an 800 acre piece of land on their um, reservation, which is, it's an interesting discussion because it's one that's been going on for years. I remember covering this back in the late nineties when they they cleared some land in their Westwoods property on the west side of Shinnecock Canal and said they were gonna build a casino there. And of course, all they really did was gouge out a hole in the ground. Um, and I don't know if that was, you know, maybe to try to force the hand of the authorities in New York state to give them permission to do this. So. Sitting in with us today is on the controls, Bill Sutton. Hey, Bill. Hey, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And Brendan O'Reilly's here. Hey, Brendan. Hi, I'm Brendan O'Reilly. I'm the features editor. And Catherine G. Manu, otherwise known as Georgie, is with us. Hey, Georgie. Hey, Annette. I'm Georgie. I'm the co-publisher of the Express News Group. And Joe Shaw is with us once again. Hi, Joe. I'm Joey Vegas. And... Uh, <laughs> That was my that was my poker nickname, actually. Uh, Joe Shaw, executive editor, the Express News Group. And my name is Annette Hinkle, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us today is Steve Coates. And Steve is the reporter who's been writing about the Shinnecock Casino. So we thought we'd have Steve sit in today because he has the, the expertise to take us through this subject. So um so I guess take my it question, away, Steve. Yeah, take it away, Steve. Beats me. All yours, buddy. <laughs> but I mean, well, that's just a good question. So, Steve, have you been have you been covering a lot of the efforts of the Shinnecock Nation to build their casino over the years, or are you new to this beat? I am very new to this beat. Although I've worked for papers that have been covering various efforts for uh, nearly twenty years now, I think it is. Joe, do you remember when the first was? It two thousand two. That sounds about right. I mean, I, it's it's hard to even think about when when to, to trace this back to because obviously it goes back to the seventies. I think when the tribe first started talking about federal recognition, and uh, I don't think back then it was necessarily about gaming. 
but uh yeah I, I came in the late 90s and uh it was an issue very quickly within within a couple of years uh we we started writing about the the tribe having some pl- some desires to to go into gaming so i get the sense that a lot of this is um a, a bit of frustration on their part in that the state has really not wanted to play ball with them so to speak in allowing this to happen is that is that part of what we think is happening now or are they just sort of doing a, a go it alone attitude do you think i think it's a combination of the two i mean i think they have certainly tried to work with the state and they've been put off put off put off and i think they finally have you know, they even said in their press conference, we've got our ducks in a row. Uh, they have, uh, they've got a partnership with the Seminole Indian Nation, although that this is, the Seminoles will not be part of this particular casino. They've got a development team in, Tri-State Partners. They've got approval from the National Indian Gaming Commission. And, and they have new leadership. And I think they've been, I think they've been doing their research and they're just, they're tired of waiting. You know, Bill and I, as a side gig, uh, are hosting this show behind the headlines on uh, WLIW. And uh, on Friday of this week, we actually had a conversation with Brian Polite. And again, Brian's um, title? Brian's the chairman of the Shinnecock Nation's uh, Council of Trustees. So he's really the, the top official over there and has been very much uh, the face of this effort. Um, in the last week or so. So um, we'll hear his voice in the mix here and there too. I imagine his phone is ringing off the hook, by the way. I, you know, it's interesting. I feel like we need to do a, a disclaimer up front and, and just say, we're reading tea leaves to a large degree about this um, because the tribe has kept its um gaming cards to its close yeah, to its, its, yeah, it's, kept its <laughs> cards close to the vest yes absolutely they've they've kept this whole conversation under wraps pretty well over the years but i think it's fair to say um there's a couple of things that i wanted to point out one is that this is an option that the tribes had from the beginning that from the from when they got federal recognition that is uh which was uh what was that about six seven eight years ago something about 10 like years that. Now, I think. yeah okay um at that point when you get federal recognition as as a native american tribe you essentially have an as of right to go build a, a class two gaming facility that has machines you need to have a compact with the state to go to a class three which is table games things like foxwoods and and mohegan sun but they've had this option for a while and i think there was always a hesitation about building on what was the reservation property uh the shinnecock territory is a broader thing and and we are obviously focusing on the part of the territory that's just outside Southampton Village, which is where they're looking at. One of the things um, that we're a lot closer than we've ever been um, with our, and I know people are saying we're playing a game of chicken. We're not because a game of chicken would imply that we wouldn't do something if we didn't get something. But the biggest difference now um, from the past is we have a gaming ordinance approved by the National Indian Gaming Commission, which is a huge milestone, um, which we didn't have before. Um, so when you become fairly recognized, you have the right to um, start a process to get permission and authorization to build a class two, but it's not inherent and it just doesn't come with it. Um, so it's taken us quite a long time 
um, to take that 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 big step um, in getting that um, that gaming ordinance approved, which allows us now to do gaming on our territory. They were um, always sort like of hesitant more, about building there, I think, Steve. And I I think they've sort of gotten past that now. And the opportunity is too great to pass up. They don't really necessarily want to build right where they live, but uh, that's the option that's on the table. Well, we're currently looking at a 76,000 square foot facility, which will house a thousand uh, VLTs, video lottery terminals, and about 30 table games, uh, specifically Texas Hold'em. Um, we're looking to start construction this summer. Um, obviously, conditions on the ground might delay that a little bit, but we're looking, we're pretty confident that we'll be able to start um, breaking ground this summer. A lot of the pre-development um, has already been completed. Well, and back to Annette's um, point, that you know, they, they had tried to work with the state government a few years ago to have an agreement with the state to build a casino up in the Catskills or somewhere up island somewhere, um, somewhere other than than in Southampton. As a federally recognized Indian nation, they could run a casino in agreement with the state. And, and every time that those discussions happened, the state reneged on it. And eventually the state gave the authority of the OTB to build Jake's 58 in Islip. And that pretty much put an end to those plans and that agreement between the state and, and the Shinnecock. And, and if, you know, if I'm them, I'd be a little angry about that. I don't think there was anything guaranteed, but, but it was, it was, it was something that was being negotiated. So. And I think it was being negotiated in good faith by the tribe. You know, uh, I'm looking at an article from the Southampton Press in 2006, uh, which is during this trial, uh, and it just referred to as the Shinnecock Casino trial in all these different articles when they were working with IBK Ong on developing a casino. And the lead of this story is that a casino business expert testified at the Shinnecock Casino trial that if the tribe is allowed to build a gaming facility on the East End, demand for gaming will drive the Shinnecocks to more than quadruple the size of their proposed facility and could generate profits of $250 million per year or more for the tribe. Now that 250 million assumed that it was going to be the closest gaming facility to Manhattan. And now that you add Jake's 58 to the mix, uh, it might not be as great, but it's also been 15 years. So maybe even with Jake's 58 there, they could stand to make a lot more than 250 million per year. I think Ivy Ong was talking about a class three facility though. Wasn't he, wasn't he Joe? I think that would have been a different yeah. kind of casino. That would have been more blackjack, right? More like, more like Foxwoods yeah. and the Hegan sun. So what, just to clarify what we're talking about is uh, video slots, and a Texas Hold'em poker gaming area, right? That's yeah, and, and I mean, I think that's uh, that's a distinction. But uh, Brendan Brendan raises a great point, which is the entire landscape around gaming has changed so much over the course of this, the evolution of this uh, story. Yeah. Um, it, it is a different ball game than it was. Uh, 15 years ago, because you do have Jake's 58, but you also have other gaming facilities dotted all over the place. 15 years ago, you really had Vegas, Mohegan Sun and Foxwoods and Atlantic City and maybe a stray place upstate and some other places like that, but it wasn't nearly as common. Now, it's just not as unusual to have gaming facilities around, but that may work against 
what the tribe is doing here, that, that the demand for facilities, people aren't going to travel as far necessarily. But the argument is they're coming here anyway. And this is another reason to come here from the city. You mentioned, you know, other casinos in the state. And I know that there's a casino near near Syracuse. And there's also the Seneca Casino up in, uh, there's one in Buffalo and one in Niagara Falls. And you know what, those are smaller facilities and, and you get a lot of local traffic in there. Niagara Falls is, is obviously a destination point for a lot of people. So you, you get some, you know, some tourism there. But if you have a smaller casino, you obviously want to draw people from other areas. Um, but if you get a good local clientele as well, then you don't need as big a draw. It doesn't need to be uh, Foxwoods or, or Mohican Sun. You don't have to have buses coming out from, from the city. You can draw people from, you know, from all over Long Island. You know, I have another lead uh, to read for you. And after I read it, I want you to guess what year it's from. This is from a Carl Grossman column. The Suffolk County Legislature approved a bill last week that would assist the Shinnecock Indian Nation in finding a suitable site on which to build a casino. What year do you think uh, that vote was held? 2007. Close. Annette is very close. It was Wednesday, December 24th, 2008, when that column was published. There you go. That's it. Mama needs a new pair of shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the Shinnecock have had this twisting, turning route to get here, and it's included. There were conversations. Bill, correct me if I'm wrong with some of the details on this. It's been so long and so many things have happened, but there were conversations. I know the tribe was talking about Nassau Coliseum and the redevelopment of that site, and they had put their hopes into the possibility of doing some type of a development there that wasn't just gaming, but also included a whole enter entertainment and food. They had talked about that, but it seems to me that that seemed at the time like kind of a long shot. It's something that they had wanted, but it's not anything that I remember um, the state or, or other you know, officials saying anything really positive about. They were, they were in the running for that, but... but um, you know, there were a lot of people in the running for that at the time. The state had initially said that they would bring in other people to run it and, and tribes or whatever, and then decided to, uh, to you know, keep the entire pot themselves to continue the gambling reference. There also was a time where they felt like they were very close on a casino in Manhattan. Uh, they were talking about a, a site there uh, conversation. So the tribe has been very close in their, at least in their minds, to a lot of different projects and has come up short every time. And I have to think that's part of the, the argument here. And, and Annette, you talked about when they broke ground at Westwoods, which is the property in Hampton Bays, which is near where the uh, billboards are on Sunrise Highway, which this all ties together and we can talk about that too. But um, they had broken ground at Westwoods, but the thinking was because they the, the state very quickly stepped in and stopped that, got a stop work order. The idea was to get the state's attention to try and work out an agreement somewhere, uh, whether it was Westwoods or somewhere else. They wanted the, the bargaining power to do that. The area where we can build it without being sued by anybody. Um, it's an area that nobody questions that we have authority and sovereignty over. Um, we didn't want this, this, is why we held off so long from building it on the neck. 
Um, we tried to be good neighbors for the last 20 years um, with the gaming um, operations. It started out as a small modest being a home on Westwoods. The powers that be didn't want even that. Um, and there was conversations, as you said, for you know a little over a decade about finding a suitable spot for the Shinnecocks. And then the state amended their constitution and commercial licensing came and the Shinnecocks kind of got put to the back of the line um, or even just forgot about. Um, so at this point, the only way that we see um, at the moment um, that we're going to be taken seriously is to build it on our, um, our, our, our sovereign territory right here in Southampton. And again, I mean, it's not the most ideal spot. We're not going to, I'm not going to sit here and, and sugarcoat it and say that it's great. It's not a good location, but it's a location that we've been dealt. And it's the location um, that is best suited at the moment to provide the resources that we've been struggling to attain for the last 20 years. But I think the problem is all of this time, all of those attempts to bargain have come up short. Uh, I build, I think you're absolutely right. Jake's 58 was the nail in the coffin. I think it was so, it was such an insult to the tribe after being shut down by the state the way they were, and then to turn around and have the state agree to allow Jake's 58 to open so close. Uh, I think that put everything, all, everything was back on the table. Just a, a lot, a lot of empty promises, I think over, over the years. And that's gotta be super frustrating. We should maybe clarify where Jake's 58 is for those who don't know the geography very well. It's an, it's an islip on at exit 58 of the Long Island Expressway. So there's an argument to be made too. If the Shinnecock were hoping that they would attract um, gamblers from the city or Nassau County, you know, like you were saying, there's not a lot of reason them for them to keep driving past exit 58 to come further east. And I think that's the big, you know, the big question is, will they have enough demand to even make the kind of money that they think they will on this casino? I mean, I would just have to believe in a resort destination, like, and I hate to use this term, the Hamptons. Um, you know, this is going to kind of be a knockout of the park situation. You know, I think what you will see is people coming here, if they're coming for the casino, it'll be like a destination weekend, kind of like, you know, people go to Vegas for, you know, two or three days or Atlantic City for two or three days, you know, so you'll have those travelers and then you'll have people who are here who just decide to make it, you know, their Thursday night out, their Friday night out. I mean, I would be very surprised if this wasn't massively successful. Given that they have, um, that they're working with the Seminole Nation, which owns hard rock casinos and i can't remember how many of them of them there are but there are lots of them i i think they have done a little bit of market research or some kind of analysis i i can't see them jumping in uh without something to guide them does jake's 58 have texas hold'em tables as they're proposing to do at the shinnecock reservation no Jake's 58 is only video terminals. And I think that's part of the part of the, the interesting thing is Jake's 58 has no Native American involvement. And, and no, it's OTB. Right. It came at a time when um, the, the state's position was we aren't interested in having gaming facilities open all over the state. We're not going to work with the tribe because we don't want to see that. We're, we're you know, and, and, 
And then they turned around and granted permission for this facility that wasn't even related to a Native American tribe. That's that's I, I really feel like that's just central to to the to this whole conversation and and really I think changed the the nature of I think the tribe was willing to be patient until then and it was very clear that the state was were not were not good actors in this. They were not legitimately going to uh, negotiate with them. 2008 and you know the Great Recession New York needed revenue. Everybody was in, you know, the pit. So they looked to gaming, um, just like we looked to gaming too, because we were in economic straits. And what was good for New York, you know, what wasn't good for Shinnecock's became good for New York. And not only that, um, we were first in line, I would say, on the casino tip. One more round. We did. We put a lot of resource, a lot of money, a lot of efforts, and lobbying, a lot of conversations with government officials, and then they kind of passed the amendment and then it was like the Shinnecocks were just, you know, we don't need them anymore. We don't need them at all. Put them on the back of the line. But I also want to, I want to explore a point that you just raised, Georgie, and that is the potential benefits for this region. But I want to challenge that for a second. For generations and certainly since the last comprehensive plans that the towns adopted, they discouraged day tripping. This was meant to be a region for people to come and buy houses and live here part-time and not to be a day trip or even an overnight trip. There's a reason we don't have a lot of hotels. There's a reason that we don't have a lot of bed and breakfasts. There's a reason that a lot of people get very bent about Airbnb and things like that. This was meant to be a place for wealthy people to buy second homes and come and live here part of the time. This runs completely counter to that entire economic model. Well, hasn't that hasn't that changed though a little bit? Hasn't hasn't Southampton Town Supervisor Jay Schneiderman? Uh, particularly in in Hampton Bays, said he wanted to kind of reverse that trend a little bit and, and let Hampton Bays be a little bit more of a kind of a, a hotel uh, community. Well, I think this will jumpstart that because I do think opening a, a casino, a gaming facility is, uh, is a, a clarion call for people to come for the day or come for the weekend. Uh, or, you know, and, and I think that changes a lot about the local economy and it could it could have some ripple effects. And I think you're right. It may not be the it may not be the first step in that direction, but it's a giant leap in that direction. Uh, and, and we'll have to see what the effects of that are. Wasn't the um, Shinnecock Nation also thinking about trying to expand with hotel building and other waterfront properties? Isn't that part of what? was in your story, Steve? They didn't get into details. They don't have any property that they've purchased, but they said this is part of a, a plan, a broader master plan on their part to have a, a string of casinos, resort hotels, and whatever else have you. I mean, um, uh, and I, you know, I think that's a, a you know, a very long-term goal or, a, you know, a, a, you know, a vision anyway. Um, yeah, and I, but for now, they want to start with one on their own territory. And I, I would presume because they assume they will get some seed money if they build that. I also wonder about the, uh, the objections that were all one of, one of the things that always 
I think was in the background of these conversations was uh, the tribe in Connecticut that owns uh, Mohegan Sun and, and Foxwoods and how they would object to a facility that would open here because it would potentially draw customers away from them. But again, I think that's part of the evolution of this thing. I'm not sure this gaming facility would really affect Foxwoods and Mohegan Sun at all, would it? I mean, I, 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 I would think most people that go to Foxwoods and Mohegan Sun are really interested in a lot of those live table games that they wouldn't be able to do on the Shinnecock. It's a very different experience there than what we're describing here, that, that these video rooms the, with the video terminals are, are nice and, and they, can, they are popular. And I, I, I know that they have, as you said, Bill, they have some upstate. I know they have one like in Saratoga Springs that, that I've been to. Um, they're very nice, but it's not the all-encompassing Vegas kind of experience that you get at Mohegan Sun and, and Foxwoods. That's a little different. No, but, but there are day trippers that go up to Mohegan Sun and Foxwoods. I mean, you jump on there, there's um, you, the ferries have special deals. You, you jump on the ferry and, and you get the, you know, the bus from the ferry stop to the casino. You can go up in the morning, come back in the afternoon. I think obviously some people stay overnight and come back the next day or whatever, but you still, you still do get those day trips, but I agree with you. It's a different experience. That being said, I mean, there's a lot of slot machines in those casinos too, and they get, they get good use. So, I mean, you may have, you may have, um, you know, a group that goes up and one or two people are, are playing, you know, uh, craps or, or roulette or whatever, but a lot of people, um, you know, are, are looking at the slot machines too, and just doing that. And if you could avoid that long ferry trip and, you know, and, and go stop in at, you know, at the Shinnecock Casino for three hours and, and play your video machines. I, I see a lot of people doing that maybe instead of going up there. I, I'm curious to see how, um, you know, how, how those casinos up there would react to this. Yeah, I guess that they don't have much say. I mean, if there's like a tribal, uh, a national tribal council that's given the approval for that, you would think that that would be their place, place to weigh in on it. And I, I also, I, I, I think that it's pretty obvious that the Shinnecock want to eventually have a full-scale casino if not more than one i mean that's why they're the tie is the tie-ins with the seminoles and this tri-state so that's interesting i wonder if that would put them in competition with other new york state tribes who are trying to do the same thing yeah it's it's interesting it, there's so much that's a whole world that that has become so important in the last 20 years and it's you know this is where i want to get the plug in too to make the point um it's the federal government that decided that this is how Native American tribes were able to make money. That the idea of giving tribes this ability to open gaming facilities was meant to remove some of the, the federal money that was being provided in, in benefits to, to tribes. They wanted to make tribes more self-sufficient. It's the federal government that made the decision that, well, we're going to give you gaming as the option to do that. It's not the tribes that made that decision. So they're they're really just they're they're using what they were given uh, to to become economic. And and look, let's be clear. And and none of this is meant to be. I hope this doesn't come off as an insult. But the tribe, the Shinnecock Nation, is struggling economically in a terrible way. It is not a wealthy tribe by any stretch of the imagination. Um, 
the majority of people who live on Shinnecock territory live below the poverty line. It's not a wealthy tribe. And it seems ludicrous to, to expect that tribe to not take advantage of an opportunity like this. Uh, you know, I think that's, I think someone said, Steve, I think you may have said that, that times have changed. And I think people, people are, are reacting differently about this kind of thing than they did 15 years ago when the tribe first um, made, made the, the overtures towards go, moving towards gaming. Um, I think that the recent documentary about the, the tribe and its struggles made a big difference. I think a lot of people saw uh, the way this uh, situation with the billboards on Sunrise Highway has evolved. I think a lot of people had a knee-jerk reaction to that, but have calmed way down about it and now see it as an economic opportunity. It's, it's really evolving the way this community uh, it looks at the Shinnecock and, and may look at this opportunity that they have. You also have Roger Waters backing them now for the for the billboards, the monuments, as they call them. So do we think that, so just to explain, the monuments are these two large electronic billboards that have gone up on either side of um, Sunrise Highway as you're entering Southampton area. And it's technically, they say, on the Westwoods property that they own, although the state DOT has a little bit to say about that, right? So should we talk about the, the uh, monuments a little bit? Well, one of the most interesting things about those monuments, you know, they're perfectly placed on either side of Sunrise Highway because the Westwoods property come, it cuts across Sunrise Highway with a V. So they have a lot of land on one side and the other side, uh, they don't have a lot of land, but they do have enough room for that one billboard. But because Sunrise Highway cuts through this piece of property, it also raises the question of whether uh, the state actually has permission to run through the Shinnecock land with a highway. And I know that when the monuments first went up and people became more aware of what land over there in Hampton Bays is Shinnecock land and what land is not, uh, that was a question that came up. And I, I would love to see that litigated one day and see what they could really say about this New York State Highway uh, cutting through what the Shinnecock argue is their sovereign land. Right. I mean, the state claims to have an easement over that property and the Shinnecock say that the easement was illegally obtained and was and was never legal. And I think it is still in, in litigation right now. I think, you know, that came up with, with the first billboard. I think it's, it's gone to court and, and they're looking at that. I don't know, to your point, Brendan, I don't know that we'll, we'll get a final answer to that or not, but it, it sure is interesting. And, you know, and then along with that, and that they're planning to um, put in a gas station on the on the northern side of Sunrise Highway near near that monument on their property. And I imagine that the state's not going to be real happy about that because people will have to exit the highway to get onto that gas station. Um, but these are all the, the economic drivers that, that Joe was talking about. And I think that, that he's right, that people have, have seemed to be a lot more willing to, you know, to, um, to, to see the benefit to the Shinnecock of these. I, I just wonder if that's gonna extend to to a gaming facility or not, um, and, and what the problems that a gaming facility could um, could bring to the area when you're talking about the environment and you're talking about traffic and and all that. And I know that Steve, that that Brian Polite, the, the uh, tribal chairman, has said that 
um, you know, that they will help to try to mitigate some of those concerns. But I, I think traffic's got to be the, the big issue um, that everybody's going to be thinking about with this. Montauk Highway is two lanes there. Right. They're, they're not talking about putting the casino where the monuments are on Sunrise. No. They're talking about putting it on the, the reservation, which is um, on the, the much smaller two lane Route 27, the old, the old highway. Um, and it would be, I guess it would be located behind where the current um, Shindikop, the, the museum that they had there, the little log cabin, right? I mean, honestly, though, part of me also just like my initial reaction, and obviously, you know, I hope that things like traffic and parking and all these environmental consequences are explored. But my initial reaction was that, you know, the town had a really long time and the state had a really long time to work in earnest to help the Shinnecock Nation develop the land the way that they are allowed to develop their land. Um, for economic benefit, and they kind of just didn't do it and made things kind of challenging and, you know, very, um, you know, it was, there was just always a lot of butting heads, and I'm sure that was on both sides, but, you know, so now here we are, and you've got a younger generation of the nation saying, you know what, this is it, this is what we need to do to help our people, and that's what we're going to do, and you really can't blame them for not reaching out to the town beforehand and being like, so guys, what do you think about this? Because we've all seen that movie before. Exactly. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. There are so many tendrils to this. This is all interconnected. The the gaming facility, the uh, billboards on on Sunrise Highway, the idea of a gas station on that Westwoods property some further development of the Westwoods property, which extends all the way from where those monuments are across to the bluffs that overlook Shinnecock Bay. It's a beautiful piece of property. And the problem is when, when they first broke ground there for a gaming facility, it gets complicated because that piece of property is not official Shinnecock territory, according to the state. The Shinnecock nation has owned that that land for a very long time. There was a break in title at some point, which is widely disputed by the tribe members, uh, that it was taken from them illegally. And I think there, it, frankly, as an observer, it, there's really good evidence that that's true, that sometime in the 1800s, they were essentially duped out of, they, they, that they were robbed of that land for a brief time. So it gets more complicated to try and do a gaming facility on that piece of property or to do anything on that piece of property. But this all moves towards the idea of trying to bring Westwoods into play. And there's, there's another small thing that we never talk about, but it is an important element. There was a plan for a new power line that was going to, that, that is going to be installed coming from Riverhead to the South Fork. It's a transmission line for power and it's a really significant one. And the tribe has struck a deal 
to allow that line to cross Westwood's property. Why is that important? Well, first of all, the deal they struck with the state essentially required the state to acknowledge that the tribe had a right to strike this deal to make it happen. So in doing that agreement, it really did move the tribe's argument about Westwoods forward. And that's been happening in the background too. And I think that it's no coincidence that all of this has happened after that took place. And if you speak to tribal members, they, I believe they will tell you that Westwoods is really more their ancestral land than the, where they are now, uh, you know, which was low-lying, marshy, and uh, you know, not necessarily the, the healthiest place to go. They're sort of shunted off to that, to the Shinnecock Neck area. It goes to the nature of the dispute of, of how it's held. And that's, but Steve's absolutely right. That is really where the tribe lived and, and the Shinnecock Hills and, and on both sides of what, you know, of what is now the canal, that was really the heart of, of where this community was based. So there's an irony to that, but um, you know, there's also an irony to the idea of just for a moment, let's just say, the casino that they're proposing here would be built on Westwoods instead. Well, you have much better access from Sunrise Highway to that property than you will have to uh, this property down past the college where the Shinnecock is, the territory is based now. It's going to be a a mess to try and get traffic down there, even the short distance uh, because of County Road 39. But back in Hampton Bays, you're still on Sunrise Highway. I think one of the things, Bill, they've talked about is a new exit that would go to this service plaza that they that they've proposed. Essentially, where the where the uh, rest areas are would become like a new exit. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's before the the rest area or after the rest area, but right about where the where the monument is. Obviously, you would have to give people a, a way to get off the highway there to get into this. Um, gas station complex, you know, whatever. It's an interesting thought, Joe. I mean, if they had, <clears throat> if they if they did decide to build the, the casino up there, then you you have that that off ramp. You could have your gas, you know, gasoline complex. They could move some of the smoke shops up there. You could have every, you know, everything kind of centralized in, in, in one location. Not that that would be the prettiest um, result, but that would be interesting. But at this point, I mean, I don't know how much, you know, for, in order for that to happen, then there would have to be this negotiation and this agreement with, um, you know, with the state and with local officials. And I really get the impression that they're just, they're done. Do we think the state will do anything about the monuments? I mean, do they feel like in a way they just went ahead and put them up after they got a stop work order? You know, are they feeling a, a new sense of emboldenment to to go ahead and just do this? And and do we think that the state's going to respond in any meaningful way? Well, the state didn't come in and take down the first one. I mean, that's been up a, a year now, right? Over a year? More than a year. You know? um, and, and I think maybe that's what they were waiting for with, with the second one. And I'm guessing here, I don't know. Um, but, you know, there had there had been the litigation over, over the first one. Um, nobody came in and took it down. The state didn't come in with their bulldozers and you know, and, and trash that area. So why not move ahead with the second one? But yeah, I think it'll be litigated. The tribe didn't win its first round of litigation on that account, but they didn't lose either. And and right. that's important to note that that the tribe's making the, the claim all along with the billboards that the state has no right 
to, to say anything about what they're doing because that's tribal land. Um, the state hasn't really, they, they've, they've used a lot of rhetoric to, to say that they're going to, you know, they've even threatened to tear them down. Uh, they say they're going to find the tribe on a daily basis starting later this month, I think it is, or in March. Um, but the state did a lot of that stuff after the first billboard went up and, and nothing, nothing happened. And uh, if you talk to tribe members, they, they are just ignoring the state and, and proceeding. The, the only reason they stopped was um, the financial and for a time here recently, weather. I think those were the two things that were keeping them from finishing that second billboard. So they say they finished it at their own pace when they were ready and the state had nothing to do with it. So what's the time frame on this the casino that we're looking at? Starting this summer and then an 18 to 24 month build out. So that would put it, you know, about early 2023 or midsummer, I guess, is the goal. So here's where I want to get, I, I want to say something at the risk of getting in trouble. It's 2021. So let's circle back. Let's turn the clock back to 2005. And think about Southampton Village. And aside from the Shinnecock Nation, when you think about Southampton Village residents and who Southampton Village residents think, these are people we want to come to our community. These are the people we want among us here. I think you think about people like Meadow Club members, people wearing Brooks Brothers jackets, the nature of who is coming to Southampton is going to change significantly. I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. What I'm saying is in 2005, I think people lost their minds thinking about that might be happening, that, that this, I'll just say it, lower class of people would be drawn out by a casino. I don't know that that's necessarily the way people think of it these days. I think people see uh, these gaming facilities as just economic development in general. And I think this region probably has to get off its high horse a little bit um, and, and see that there is some opportunity here, uh, you know, that you have to get comfortable with. I don't know. I mean, Annette, Annette has um, been in Southern California at the same time I was. And um, actually went to a casino with my identical twin sister um, because they they dot the landscape in Southern California, um, all connected to Native American reservations. And, you know, I think that, you know, on the one occasion I actually went with my sister when she was um, living in a place called Temecula. Now she's in Palm Springs where Annette got to enjoy a night at a casino. I mean, this was like a it was a destination for everybody for of all economic categories you know that's what a, a portion of the population did on their thursday or friday night like they went down to the pachanga casino and you know that's how they spent their evening georgie georgie did you run any scams with your uh twin sister because there's got to be some way you could use that to your advantage in a casino setting. Yeah. So like, I am not a casino person. Like I, I, my sister took me to this casino, the Pachanga casino in Temecula. 
And I actually almost had a heart attack when she put like a hundred dollar bill, you know, into a slot machine. I was like, what are you doing? Like, how do you get that back? Like, it was very challenging for me. So, um, yeah. So like pulling scams, like it was a miracle. I made it through the night without having a panic attack. Joe, you may be surprised by, by who would go. I mean, I've been to Jake's 58 a couple of times and there, look, there's, there's the regular floor and, and then there's, there's a high stakes area where, where a hundred dollars in the machine would be a minimum of, of what you're putting in. So it's not, you know, it, it's not, it's not your, your average blue collar people going up and playing those machines and those are all full. And those are, you know, those are, there's waiting, there's a waiting line for that. So I, I think that, you know, depending on, on what people's individual, you know, likes and passions are, I think you, you could get people from all walks of like life as, as, uh, as Georgie said in those casinos. I, I think when you look, when you're talking about that, that back in 2005, I think that was already a very limited portion of the population that was thinking that. And I, I, I think this place has been open, opening wider and wider for 30 years. What I'm saying, though, is you'll get people from all walks of life, including, but it won't appeal exclusively to the high end, which is where we were in 2005, that I think that's all we wanted was high end then. And I think people had that in their heads. I also think casinos have evolved so much in the last, you know, 20, 30 years, you know, where. Um, you know, it's not just like a destination for gambling in a lot of cases, um, you know, some of the top chefs in the world will open up a restaurant in a, in a casino. I mean, Las Vegas is considered one of the top food destinations in the United States because, you know, people like Thomas Keller, the French laundry have restaurants in casinos in Las Vegas. Um, and then you've also seen obviously entertainment, um, develop where, you know, like Beyonce is performing, you know, and not that this casino is going to start out like that, but, you know, it's become a little bit like they even try to make them family friendly. There are casinos in Las Vegas that have like a kid's floor where it's an arcade. Um, so, you know, I just think that they've, they've become more than just a place to go gamble. It's like an overall entertainment center, if that makes any sense. I think the big the big fear in 2002, 2005, whenever it was when they were originally talking about a casino and, and whether some of this is propaganda or, or whether some of it was real, you know, everybody was saying, you put in a casino, you're going to have prostitution, everybody's, you're going to have, you know, homeless people, you're going to have this, you're going to have that. And while I think they're, they're you know, a criminal element, while I think there may, and, and they would point to Foxwoods and Mohegan Sun and while there may have been some of that element up there, I think it was certainly exaggerated and was probably used as a, a scare tactic. But but it you know it gave like 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 you were saying, Joe, casinos had that that kind of a bad reputation back then that they don't have now. And that's the point I was trying to make is not that I, I don't want it to come off as me suggesting this is this is a bad thing. I'm saying, I feel like that the entire landscape surrounding this discussion has evolved so much. And it's, it's also indicative of the way our entire region has evolved. Steve, I think you're absolutely right. This region is much more diverse than it was even 25 years ago. And I think this is just another example of that.
Well, and I and I think you have you have a you know we're I'm 63 years old. I'm you know I'm I'm getting older. Uh, the, the the generations are changing. Uh, last summer, when there was a Black Lives Matter protest in Bridgehampton, they shut down Main Street for two blocks. There were well over a thousand people. Uh, there's a different there's a just a different attitude among younger people and and the tribe is being 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 led by younger people who uh, you know have left the area and been educated in colleges and are progressive and I, I just I think that they're they're, it's a, it's a, they're very articulate and and I think that they are able to state their case in a way that people understand it and I just and they're not going to take the delay tactics anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I I absolutely agree with you. I think the face the faces of the tribe have made this case pretty effectively in the court of public opinion. And um, I, you know, yes, you're going to have some knee jerk reaction in the community, but I think it's going to be isolated. Um, but I'll be intrigued to see what the general opinion is. I mean, it's gonna it 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 has the potential. I mean, imagine somebody was was going to open a big box store in the middle of, of Southampton town or East Hampton town. Uh, it, it has, a, it has an effect. This is even, I think more significant in a lot of ways. It can be significantly good. It, it will certainly be significantly good for the tribe. Um, and that's not a small thing. That's a big, you know, the tribe is our, they are our neighbors and they are long overdue uh, to, to get benefits from from something like this so i I think i it's it's a fascinating development but it's fascinating to me how different it may be this time than it was when it first came up years and years ago i think you're right and i think it would behoove our our local lawmakers and regional lawmakers and state lawmakers to to see this as perhaps an, an, an inevitability and to work with the shinnecock nation to um, to address concerns about the environment and about traffic and say, let us be your partners in this. And if you're going to go ahead and do this, we'd rather you not, which is what I think they're saying now. We'd rather you not. But if you're going to do it, let us work with you to make this uh, successful. There's a big ask of the tribe there too, though, because the tribe has to come to the table and say, we're willing to listen to and work with the town. And they have no incentive to do that right now. I, would, I wouldn't blame them for, for being hesitant to even have that conversation. Why would they? Well, because, because, because they want to be successful. And, and, I, and I think that you know, in, in order to be successful, they, they're going to have to realize that they're going to have to at least mitigate the traffic concerns. Um, and that's something they're not going to be able to do on their own. They can't put a traffic light on Montauk Highway by themselves. I mean, I have to believe, though, with, you know, Hard Rock and the Seminole Nation behind them, there's going to be some significant planners that are able to come in and help them without them having to go to the town and say, hey, can you help us out? <laughs> they're going to have their own professionals that are going to be assessing things like traffic and park. Sure. My, my suggestion was not that they go to the town and say, can you help us out? It was that, that yeah. the town should go to them and say, is there a way we can help you out? And I, 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 there's a, a distinction there. Definitely. And it would be it would be nice if the town did that. Would it be the first time? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think I think that the town officials would tell you that they have made those overtures. I, I think 
that the tribe would tell you that those overtures weren't very sincere in the past. I think both sides are probably telling the truth there. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a bad relationship over the years. Um, and that's how we got to this point. I think it's, it's, uh, it's been unpleasant. And I think now this may be enough to, to, to lift the, lift the obstacles and, and actually something may end up happening. And now. for those who are having the knee jerk reaction to this plan, like I'd encourage them to think about the billboards. I mean, everybody was like, Oh, the billboards is going to destroy the aesthetics of our community. Including us. I yeah. gotta tell you, like, I actually really like them. I drive that when I rarely drive past them since COVID, but I, you know, they, they really don't bother me. I actually think they look great kind of like another stargazer you know you're almost home when you hit yeah exactly right. I, I mean a lot great. more attractive than going by that kind of shady rest stop god knows what happens there <laughs> <laughs> That's, there's your new york state tax dollars at work yeah. 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 one thing i wanted to mention is that um when we we at the beginning of this we mentioned that it's a seventy-six thousand square foot building but it's, it's, it's in a spot, it's an 11 acre portion of the territory that's reserved as an economic development area. And that's where the cannab medical cannabis facility will be. Um, you know, the building itself is roughly almost two acres and the parking lot, the rendering, uh, uh, Brian Polite told me the rendering is not good scale, but I'm thinking, you know, that the, that the casino would take a good half of that, or, you know, at least a third of, of that piece of property or that portion of the territory. They're going to boost, boost the uh, visibility of the cannabis facility. Ah, that's another topic. I think that's going to be another thing we're going to talk about. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's, it's dominoes and the dominoes have fallen against the Shinnecock tribe for years, uh, centuries. Um, and I think it's, it, it may be the first domino falling uh, in their, in their favor. There we go. So that's a game. I wonder if they'll have dominoes at the <laughs> casino. That would be cool. I could lose money at dominoes. You can lose money at pretty much anything, Joe, from what I've seen. Yeah. I really can. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm not the world's greatest gambler. So, Georgie, I, I was talking to Gavin. Is, is there a way that I can get my uh, paycheck direct deposited right to the casino? Because I mean, dude, I think that would be the healthiest choice. Probably not, but... Facilitate it. <laughs> I'm hoping they have good Wi-Fi so I can just kind of work from there. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. 
Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.